Hello, hello. My name is Kim Addis, and I am the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching. And you have just joined us at the Frame of Mind Coaching podcast. Today, my lucky volunteer who is sitting in the hot seat, his name is Roy Henning, and he comes from a company called Lyric Find, and he happens to be the vice president of sales. Did I get it? Sales. Welcome. Welcome, Roy. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're in Toronto, is that right? Yep. In the uh, Greek town, uh, just a little off in the uh, downtown area, but happy to be here. My wife and I have been here for, I'd say, seven years now. Seven years. So Lyric Fine, what is it? What what does that even mean? Sure, sure. In a nutshell, I like to think that we power the digital music industry with lyrics. By that, I mean... We provide companies such as Google and Amazon and Microsoft and Pandora and Deezer, for example, with not only the actual uh, lyric content itself for display, but more importantly, the actual license uh, to display these lyrics. And we do that by working with over 6,000 publishers. And um, they've aggregated, or rather, we've got the rights to sub-license these to these companies. So let me see if I understand, and let me translate it in very layman's terms. So there's a singer, he sings a song, he writes the Mm -hmm. song, they're his lyrics or her lyrics, right? Those lyrics are not for general consumption. You need to pay a licensing fee in order to republish those lyrics. Is that right? Did I get it right? Yes and no. Um, So think of the artist or the writer of that song as the copyright holder, right? Uh, There's the music and then there's the actual song lyrics. And what we do is that we we work directly with that writer or the publishing group that represents them. And we say, hey... Uh, we would love to take your work of art and provide it to these companies who can use it in their service and then in turn generate royalties and get you paid for it. I see. Got it. Understood. Yeah. Amazing. So you come today with a very specific challenge. What is that challenge? Yeah. So um, I guess as a digital music industry vet of the last 11 years, uh, I've struggled with this idea of work-life balance. Um, now as a proud father of two kids, I have two daughters, um, I'm constantly sort of wrestling with this idea of, of working and being at home and not just, you know, during this COVID era, but I mean, I'm just physically and mentally just being present where I find myself constantly torn between, um, thinking about work, working, being with my family and still thinking about work. How old are your kids? Four and two. Four and two. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Um, you're married. Does your wife say, Hey, you're not being with us when you're with us at times for sure. So how does that conversation go down? Uh, it's usually Roy, but where your phone. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's more funny. Sometimes it's not. Um, but at most times it's usually always because of my fault. Okay. So it's put down your phone. It's a phone issue. Really? It definitely has something to do with the phone, although it's not restricted to the phone because even now I'm not touching my phone, but I'm still thinking about work. What are you thinking about specifically? Things that I got to do. Um, expectations of performing. Uh, what do I do? What do I have to do next to move a deal along? Okay. And ha- I mean, you've been there for 11 years. How have you been performing? I like to think pretty well. In fact, actually, um, a couple of weeks ago, I closed uh, the biggest deal of my 11 year career which I can't talk about yet because it's not public, but I really look forward to. Okay. So you're performing very well, but still there's something in your brain that is thinking about your performance. It's this sort of nagging issue of, um, 
always do better, always do more. What have you done for me lately? Okay. I can't shake. Okay. Okay, great. And uh, just go back to your wife for a moment and then sure. your kids. So she says, uh, she says, Roy, get off your phone. And what is your response? Most of the time, you got it. Or you're right, what am I doing? Right. And it's also key to note that, you know, we're both uh, working professionals, right? So we're both super busy, you know, work all day. Um, we've got the kids all, you know, night, of course, and the mornings. Uh, they're in daycare right now, uh, thankfully. And, um, and we both work at night often. Mm-hmm. And so what's, how does that impact your relationship with your wife? Uh, it means that we work a lot and we raise the kids as best as we can. Uh, and there usually isn't a ton of time for the two of us solo. Okay. And so the question becomes like, what's the driver? Why do you, why are you working so hard? Is it so that, you know, that you're quieting down that voice? Quiet. I can't say the word making that voice quieter. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, excellent question. Um, I'd like to think it probably has to do with my upbringing, uh, meaning that I came from a home with, you know, uh, father, mother, uh, my dad worked all day. Uh, mom stayed home, a bunch of different sort of mental health issues. Uh, I've got two sisters, one of which has severe mental health issues, still living with my folks. And, you know, they're struggling, uh, have always struggled. And money has always been an issue uh, growing up. And so I guess I've always wanted to put myself and my family in a position where that wasn't the case. And I, I realized that, you know, that is at the cost of, of, of probably being more present than I could be. But, you know, I want to make sure that my kids, um, you know, are better off than I guess I ever was and make sure that they have the opportunity to sort of learn the way that I couldn't. Okay. So go back. Money was always an issue as you grew up. Describe how that played out in your upbringing. So you were young. Money was an issue. How did you know it was an issue when you were young? Did they say, we don't have any money? Did you not have food? Did you have to move from home to home? What did that look all look like? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, In that respect... All things considered, safe, good home. Uh, there was a lot of a lot of, of fighting, um, a lot of raised voices, um, and just between as a result, or everybody, my parents, oh, my parents, my parents, and then just being acutely aware of that, um, having developed strong empathy skills really early on, I was very aware of of what was happening and what they were talking about and what they were feeling. How old were you when you remember them fighting? Sub ten. So, yeah. Okay. So they were fighting and they were fighting over money. Like, do you remember the subject or you just heard fighting? Uh, no, it was definitely issues of fighting. I mean, I can't remember specifically per se, you know, that, that young, but um, I guess issues of lack and debt. And so when you were 10, like, what did you want when you heard them fighting? Like, what was the thing that you really, really wanted? I suppose I wanted them to stop. Is there anything else you wanted, do you think? Like, pretend you're 10 right now. Remember that moment. I mean, if I could wish away their problems, I wish I could have. Uh, Outside of that, um, I guess I hadn't thought about it too much. You know, outside of just stop and maybe not revisiting some of those memories for a long time. Um, when you were young, and I know this is going down a very different path than we expected, but that's fine. When you were young, do you feel like you said one of your sisters has uh, mental health issues? 
Mm-hmm. One sister or both sisters? Um, one. One sister. My, my older, yeah. Your older sister. And you were which kid in the mix? In the middle. Middle kid. Okay. And only, only boy? Uh, the only boy, yeah. And how were you treated as a son, the only son, middle kid? Yeah, I mean, all things considered quite well. Um, but I was mostly, even though I was the middle kid, I was always treated like the firstborn. And is that because your sister had mental health issues or is that because you were the guy? Maybe a little A, maybe a little B, uh, but primarily a lot because uh, my sister had some uh, some developmental issues. Okay. Okay. Always treated as the firstborn. And what was the implication of that? What does it mean to be treated like the firstborn? Mm, bearing the responsibility of making sure that people are okay. Um, making sure that my sisters were okay. Knowing that, you know, I might understand why they were fighting in a way that perhaps my sisters didn't and just having to bear that. Okay. And now are you still trying to make sure everybody's okay? You got it. Okay. Um, Were you okay at 10 years old? Kind of. You know, for the most part, I was put together. Uh, As I guess I still am today. But, uh, you know... uh, I was, I was okay. I mean, I definitely had my own issues, but. You know, did, uh, did anybody check to see if you were okay? Yeah. I remember seeing, I remember talking to, um, I think some uh, therapist or two. I mean, we had some family stuff where a bunch of us were going at different times. And, you know, I pulled a Matt Damon and Robin Williams style interview uh, session or two where I might just sit there and stare at the window for 60 minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, so as a result of being stubborn. So let me, I, I, I mean, I would love to have a really long conversation with you. For the purposes of this podcast, I understand we have to kind of tighten it up a little bit. So you have a situation where as a child, you were given a lot of responsibility, making sure everybody was okay. And it sounds like you had a little bit more insight into the family dynamics and the elements at play than perhaps your siblings did. And so that really, really sensitized you to the whole idea of, I want to make sure my family's never in this situation um, and that my kids are in a good place and that I'm providing for them financially. Our finance is actually an issue in your world right now. No, but being in sales, right, it's always, it, it, it's a career living in sort of a house of cards, right? So you're never one more deal away from being really well or losing a couple of clients to be like, wow, I uh, need to pick things up. So it's that fine line of like, okay, things are okay. But at the same time, it wouldn't take much to sort of make it not okay. I understand. I run a business, so I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Okay. And um, do you fight with your wife other than you? Okay. And does that kind of sound like your parents used to fight or not at all? Um, different, uh, different. Um, no, cause I mean, we don't historically fight about uh, money per se, but you know, it's, it's now because of the kids, it's usually about um, just differences of parenting philosophies and uh, nature versus nurture and uh, things like that. What's your parenting philosophy? God, I wish yeah. I could talk to you for days. <laughs> uh, it depends. Uh, you know, some of the, the most important things that I share with my daughters would be, uh, you know, when you fall, pick yourself up, but also protect your face on the way down. So, and uh, your wife? 
she doesn't disagree with that. Um, but, um, you know, I'm more uh, abrupt, sort of like kind of let things happen, uh, but I will sort of involve myself when I need to. So, for example, the other day, like I'm fine with my kid, my four-year-old climbing up a fence. I'm like, listen, as long as you can get down safely, feel free to climb. Uh, and I encourage her to jump because, well, uh, you need to sort of know that and know yourself. So you give a little more leeway. You're, you're like, go figure it out, learn from your experiences kind of person. Yeah. Yes, until you sort of cross that threshold of like, stop throwing water on the ceiling. I, don't, I just, I don't want to clean up that mess right now. You know, or like, no, I don't need you to paint your legs and then paint my face. But okay. maybe tomorrow we can play some more art. As you can see, she's a great artist. She is a great artist. Okay. So let's go back to being present with your kids. Okay. So you're with your kids and you're thinking mm -hmm. about work and vice versa. So when you're work, you're thinking about your kids. Is the thinking about, hey, I wish I was with my kids or is the thinking more, man, I feel guilty and I feel guilty on all fronts at all times? A little bit of both, right? My kids, there's that guilt, that guilt is definitely a part of it. Um, you know, and it's, it's just being tied to, to thinking about two things at the same time, right? Like, yes, I want to be present. I want to be with you. Oh, I want to make sure that your future is okay. Now I need to think about this at the same time too, which maybe that's a cop-out. I don't know. Do you suspect I mean, it might be a cop-out? Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> okay. So let me kind of unwind things a little bit or unravel things a little bit. Okay. So... I know that you're looking for balance, but, you know, as I've said on many, many other podcasts, like it's not really balance we seek, right? Because balance is a little, um, it's a little boring, right? It's a little still. And so it's not about balance. It's really about being able to ride the waves, right? So if you're thinking about yourself on, um, uh, on a surfboard, it's really about being able to have fun on all of those waves. And sure. what it sounds like is you're not having fun on your waves, right? It's you're just not having fun. And the thing that's stopping you from having fun is being present wherever you are. Um, and I would suggest to you that the real thing that's happening is a set of beliefs that are driving your emotional state. And the mm -hmm. belief is, I'm not doing a good job or rather I'm not doing a good enough job. And even if I do a good enough job, it only lasts me for a little while. So, you know, yes, I got my fill in with my daughters. I'm good for the afternoon, but then tomorrow is a new day and they're going to want more. And then I'm going to have to supply them with more, but I have to work. And so it's this feeling of never being enough and right. never, and never um, like, you know, you're good for a day and that's it. Yes. That has something to do with it, sure. And so, and so really what I'm interested in totally exploring mm -hmm. is this whole idea is the, the whole train of thought. And, and it comes from what you believe to be true about yourself, which is I feel guilt because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do as much as I'm supposed to be doing it when I'm supposed to be doing it. So I'm mm -hmm. always behind. Yeah. Um, combined with, um, you know, I feel like, you know, all things considered, uh, life has been very fortunate and good to me, despite my incredible background and story and history, which you know, we'll save for another day, of course. But um, I also feel like there's a responsibility that I have to uh, do more and provide more, um, given 
um, the circumstances that you know I, I, I have available to me. And so I don't stress out about that. In fact, I enjoy being able to sort of contribute where I can and offer whatever I can um, and whatever opportunity that there is available. So let me kind of change the question a little bit. Sure. What's your ideal outcome? Is it to be able to have more time to spend on more things? Is it to be able to be present when you're there? Is it to walk away and feel like, you know, I, I'm good, not only for now, but I'm good on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, I guess all three sound pretty good in different sort of instances. So... And from a tangible standpoint with your wife, is it to be able to spend more time with her? That has something to do with it. I mean, we don't necessarily need to be together all the time as we are anyways, because we both have to work. But yeah, to have more quality time where we're not thinking about work. And not necessarily where we're not thinking about the kids because they're a lot of fun at this age. So it's great when it is just the four of us. Okay. And actually COVID uh, at the beginning and the lockdown was great because during the first four months or so, you know, we spent more time together than we have in their whole lives. Was it fun or was it stressful? Yeah. Both, both. But um, the hardest part was balancing work. So what we did for the first, because we're both working from home, is that um, for the first you know, four months, we would take shifts working uh, or taking care of the kids and then switching um, halfway through the day and then both you know, taking care of dinner and uh, bath and bed and then both working into the night. So, um, less sleep than ever before. And so that was really challenging. But once we were able to sort of, once daycares opened up and have more time um, to work and that made it easier. But uh, it was great to spend so much time with the kids. Okay. So so going back to the original conversation, the beliefs we have create the the emotional state we're in. Mm -hmm. Right? So, so first we have a thought and that thought repeats itself over and over again. And when that happens, we form a belief. And right. right now, the thought that you have over and over again is, I should be somewhere else. I should be doing something else. I should be doing more. I should be, you know, focusing on work. I should be focusing on my kids. I'm with my kids, but my wife tells me to put down my phone, so I'm not doing a very good job, right? right. Or I made a sale, but now what, <laughs> right? right? So exactly. it's that dialogue that's happening that's causing you to feel guilt, maybe a little stress, a little restlessness, mm -hmm. a little mm -hmm. lack of presence. Okay? But it's the belief, and, and I want you to kind of notice, the belief that things should be different than they are. That word should is super important. Okay, so, oh, that makes sense. Right? And so whenever you are where you are and you feel like, well, I, you know what? I am, I'm here now, but I really should be somewhere else. That yeah. should create anxiety. That should create internal, let's call it cognitive dissonance that says, right. You know, if I'm really a good person, then I would be going to do this other thing over here. Uh, but how can I do that and this at the same time? So I just can't win. Right. right. Yes? You know, it's funny. The, um, you know, I actually, I, I, I wrote a haiku uh, this past fall uh, that sort of captures the spirit of this dissonance. Do you want to hear it? Yes. Sure. Let me bring it up real quick. Um, all right. Here we go. And it goes... Um, uh, the burden of fix yourself. Always do better. Shouldering bricks. Heavy. And so the question becomes, what does always do better mean? 
And in, in that question lies the secret. Okay. (laughs) And so the concept of always do better, the word do is really important. Mm -hmm. So when we think about always doing better, we, we revert our knee jerk reaction is to think about what action can I take that is different? How can I do better? And what I want to teach people like so badly is that in order to do better, it's not about the doing. It's about the thinking. And right now your thinking is I cannot win. The burden is heavy. I'm not enough. I'm not succeeding. If I'm in one place, I'm failing in the other and vice versa. And that line of thinking is causing you the stress, the anxiety, the lack of presence. It's not about what to do better. It's about how to think differently because that thinking is causing you the pain. Your performance is fine. It's the thinking that's causing you that sense of internal cognitive dissonance. And so the question becomes, does the thinking that I have to fix myself allow me to feel at peace? The answer is no. So what thinking is required for me to be at peace with who I am every moment that I'm engaged in something, whether it's with my kids or my work? Like right now you're with me. Are you listening? Like, are you focused? Are you present with me? But I'm also split. You're also split. And so the question becomes, if I can capture my thinking and understand the beliefs that are tearing me apart on the inside, that's what needs to be addressed. I don't actually need to do anything differently. I need to hear that voice inside of myself and really examine it because that voice is playing havoc with me. It's causing me stress. It's causing me to be less present. It's causing me and taking me down the road and leading me to outcomes exactly opposite to what I really, really want. So I need to, in a way, elevate that voice so I can hear it clearly and then address it. Right? And that is exactly the story here. It's don't do anything different. Mm -hmm. Address the beliefs that say, I am not enough. This isn't not enough. I need to do more. You know, I'm only as good as yesterday's sale. All that stuff. And I'll be very clear. We all make shit up. And that stuff we make up determines whether or not we live a peaceful, flowing life or whether we live a life of tension, anxiety, stress, and constant discomfort. That is it. The narratives we tell ourselves, yes, that resonates. So my advice is actually write down those narratives Mm -hmm. and examine them and Mm -hmm. ask yourself one question. Are these things that I'm writing down actually true? So if I never made another sale again, am I useless? Am I worthless? But that's the way you're living. (laughs) Yes, that makes sense. So I hope that this conversation just started opening up a little bit of a crack 
to a different way of looking at yourself and more importantly, a different way of thinking. It has very tough provoking. Amazing. Roy, I want to thank you for being on my podcast today for sharing your story. I do not think that you are alone in your struggle. I think that many, many people face the same internal problem or internal conflict. I don't think this is unique. And so I'm grateful that you had the courage to share what's going on for you internally. And I have no doubt that this will resonate for so many people who are listening to this podcast. So thank you. Thanks for having me, Kim. It's been great.